0: friends. Welcome to the Brave Enough podcast. Grab some coffee, sit back or enjoy your drive and let's get authentic, real and into the good stuff. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Shilcutt. And I'm so excited to hang out with you today where we're going to talk about life and work and all the messy stuff in between. So get ready. In episode 40, Sasha interviews Dr. Tom Varghese. They discuss Tom's path to becoming an outspoken supporter of gender equity. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilcutt. Hey there, Brave Enough community. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm really pumped. We have a dear friend of mine coming on the show, and it's going to be awesome. I wanted to talk to you and tell you a couple things. The first one is that there are very few spots left for the Brave Enough conference this September in Scottsdale, Arizona. If you are listening, and you are a woman in medicine, and you need some inspiration and some CME, you want to grab one of those few spots that are remaining. It's going to be an amazing weekend Focus on leadership, gender equity, and well-being. And I think you're going to find your tribe. So you're welcome to join me. And I also want to just tell you that have you ever gotten to a point of your life where you're going through the motions, but you're barely hanging on and you're thinking, what is my identity? Who am I? Like, how did I get here? I'm even maybe successful doing things that perhaps you don't feel passion to do or are not part of your life vision. Maybe you don't even know what that life vision is. Well, let me tell you, I've been there and I have created something that's really unique for women. And it's unique because it's feasible, meaning you can do it. In your life and still do all the things that you have to show up for every day. But slowly over 12 weeks through this class called the masterclass, I'm going to teach you how to do some internal reflection into figuring out what your life vision is, what your mission is, what your purpose is, what your goals are, and what you're doing right now that doesn't align with those goals and how to get out of the things and let go of the things that do not bring you joy. And instead, focus by a strategic plan on doing the things and adding to your life that are aligned with your vision, your mission, your purpose, and your goals. And I promise you that It is so effective. And not only that, it's totally fun because you get to go through this process with 20 other women who are going through the same things you are and you get to learn from each other. And at the end of the class, I promise you, you will be changed. So if you're interested, go to becomebravenough.com, click on classes and check out the masterclass. The next one starts September 10th. You have plenty of time to sign up and I would love to have you in that class. And without further ado, we're going to get to today's show. Hello, Brave Enough community. I'm so honored today to have a dear friend on the show. Many of you are going to know him because he is a force to be reckoned with on social media and just a voice for so many of us in medicine when it comes to leadership and gender equity and surgery. And so I am just completely honored because this is somebody that I have respected for quite some time and he's agreed to come on the show. And I'm really honored to have Dr. Tom Varghese here and welcome to the show.
1: <laughs> that is an incredibly kind introduction. Sasha. <laughs> oh no, thank you. I am this is a blast. Uh, I mean, I think uh, we, we've talked about this before. you know one of the powerful uses of social media is that ability to go and fi- find your fellow tribe members. And uh, you and I have a bond and we've made it amazing. The connections with a lot of phenomenal people uh, around the world, and now this is a truly an honor for me to to participate in this podcast today.
0: Well, you know, there's some people that you follow that I follow online. I'm sure you do too. That you're like, wow, that's that's I really like what they're putting out there. It's informative, it's uplifting, it's challenging, it's provocative. It makes me think, but it always ends making me feel better. And you're definitely one of those people. But then when you get to <laughs> meet that person in real life, and you're like, this is somebody that I could just like hang out with. Like I, I we. We were talking before the show I wish so much that I could hang out with you in the OR and you know be your anesthesiologist for the day because I know we'd have yeah, so no, much
1: fun I mean, <laughs> of course that's the other connection we have uh for listeners I'm sure uh people I already know that Dr. Shilkat's an amazing cardi- cardiac anesthesiologist uh, but I'm a, I'm a cardiothoracic surgeon. So absolutely, we've got that connection going as well. It's yes. Common speciality.
0: Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a leader. You're a doctor. You are a, a, a speaker. You know, you're very well known. Tell us, uh, you know, the one minute bio on Tom Barghese.
1: Oh Wow. One minute. Um, so I think uh, I'll start with what I put on my uh, Twitter profile. So I'm a dad. I'm a husband. And that's where it all starts. Uh, you know, my family's where it all starts. And uh, I'm a thoracic surgeon. I'm a health services researcher. Um, health services, I think that the easy way to think about health service, the amazing Dr. Caprice Greenberg actually put it out as outcomes assessment is the ability to look at the results of interventions um, that take place in a healthcare system. Mm. And then health services is, well, now that you know what's happening, what are you gonna do about it to make it better? Wow. And I think that's, that, that's the field of research that I do. Um, I've I uh, I've been very privileged to have leadership uh, opportunities or leadership titles. Uh, most of my life is spent at the Huntsman Cancer Institute at the University of Utah. Um, I've got um, leadership uh, titles here. I'm currently uh, the chief value officer and the interim executive medical director at the hospital. I'm also the section chief of general thoracic surgery, as well as the program director of our cardiothoracic surgery fellowship uh those are my official things but honestly i i think it, it sum it up uh, uh sasha is i'm just looking to learn and i love the world that we live in love the opportunities i have and i'm always constantly looking for that next opportunity to see if we can make some positive change
0: uh i love that it good enough i love it i love it <laughs> and that's you know for those of you that don't follow on social media, I really encourage you to, because man, he, he doesn't just put out good things, but he also amplifies so many great people. And one of the, you know, you're a surgeon and you are a very successful NIH researcher. You are a leader, but you also decided that, you know, besides being all of these things and a father and a, and a husband, you were going to kind of go off the beaten path, I would say, and be one of the very first men in medicine, and not just men, but leader in medicine, to say, you know what, I'm gonna kind of speak out and I'm gonna stand up on behalf of my female colleagues, which you've been doing this, I've been following you for several years, and this is not something that you just got on the bandwagon in the last year, but you've been doing that. And I, I can imagine as someone who, found myself in a, in a leadership position and then decided that I was going to kind of stand up for the same causes. I received a lot of backlash and I'm just curious, like, first of all, why did you do that? Like, why did you decide one day to just, I'm sure you didn't just wake up and be like, today I'm going to take on gender equity, but like, yeah, no, what where I, did you, how did that evolve? Yeah, Talk to us. It,
1: well, I think it's, it's uh, the honest answer is it's probably a summer summarization of, a lot of different experiences. So I have amazing parents. I have an incredible family. Um, And I remember a couple of principles that my parents both uh, early on in life. My mom, the first thing that she always said was, Tom, always make sure that You are not the smartest person in the room, that you should be surrounding yourself with people that are way smarter than you, because that's when you learn. You have to be able to expand your horizon of knowledge. You always have to connect with people who know from you, and you can learn from the world around you. That was kind of one of my mom's principles. My dad was uh, more about uh, all of us are given a unique gift, Uh, and that unique gift is whatever talent that we have, we should maximize that to our utmost abilities, and then share that gift to the world. And so I think it all starts from there. That is, if you really truly believe those two principles, learning from the world around you, and then sharing whatever knowledge that you've attained, that means that you are in a position to try to create a better world. I mean, I think that's just a fundamental principle that I I like to follow. If you believe that, then you know that you want to be in a world where people are recognized for the work that they do that they're given the opportunities and that there's accountability and transparency in everything that we do in terms of career advancement mm-hmm. so if that is also a principle that you believe then you believe in a world of equity and justice and i think that if everything naturally flows from that. Um, And so I think those are kind of like core principles that I I always try to keep in mind and try to uh, embody in everything that I do. Uh, And then so the gender equity aspect really is it's kind of a no brainer. It doesn't make sense when talented people are not rewarded for what they've achieved. It doesn't make sense for there to be two sets of principles Meaning that there's one standard which is mediocrity is accepted, and then another group of people, no matter how amazing they are, they're not rewarded for the work that they do. It, that doesn't make any sense. Hmm. It doesn't make sense for men to be paid more money than women just because of their gender. None of that makes any sense. And, and so it, it really, it's not that much of a leap where you say that we have to change this. We can't keep going the status quo. I mean, you and I were amongst the millions of people around the world cheering on the U.S. women's national soccer team. Right. I mean, talk about some trailblazers out there. Right. And in 2019, the U.S. women's soccer team, none of the members are paid the same amount of money as the men's soccer team. And we can make the argument that the men's soccer team have actually been pretty pathetic the last couple of years in terms of their performance. Right. Um, And so... So you sit there in sports and people are like, well, where should they follow the lead? I was like, well, look at tennis, you know, Billy Jean King and Chris Everett and Martina Everett, they, they, all those trailblazers change the dynamics. And how do they change it? They almost threatened to go out by themselves and create their own league and everything. Everybody got together. And you know what? In Wimbledon, which is going on right now, the men's champion and the women's champion are going to get equal amount of money. Uh, And so these are not earth-shattering principles. We just need to do the right thing. Um, And the only people who are threatened are the mediocre people who don't want uh, things to change. And if you think about it, the mediocre people who don't want things to change, well, they're the ones that were born into privilege. And they're the ones who have been uh, having the system work for them and not the other way around. Of course they don't want anything to change because – they have an unfair advantage over the rest of us. Right. So that's kind of how, where I approach that. Um, I just look at gender equity as one step in terms of trying to create the better world. And I, I think that, uh, you know, we've done a lot of different things. The he for she, uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, social media awareness. There's been campaign awareness. Those are all the first steps. He for she just standing and saying that, hey, I believe in gender equity that's a first step. That is not the only step. Now it's you got to extend further, um, and that's why I'm a huge fan of what you've done with Brave Enough. I'm an amazing fan of what Dr. Julie Silver has done with the, the Be Ethical campaign. I mean, these are things that we need to do. We need to start putting things into place, policies into action. We got to get beyond this because you and I both know there are so many other issues that we have to tackle. Right. I, we got to yeah. get this sorted out yes. so we can get on to the bigger issues. Yes.
0: So they've asked me, like, what, what are the biggest problems? You know, what are the biggest challenges? And I'm like, if you could, if people could show up to work and focus on the work at hand and not focus on being discriminated or unco- experiencing bias or not stepping on toes because they don't want to be seen as too assertive if you're a woman or, you know, just all the things that come along with when you're not the status quo, when you're not born into the, to, to a place of privilege, think about what we could accomplish.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: think about how much more efficient our workplaces would be if you could just show up to work and you weren't in this, in this area of like, oh, my gosh, am I being, you know, am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I saying it's like an added level of stress.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I here's the secret: you will never be the smartest person in the room because there's always going to be somebody who's got more knowledge or content expertise in some area. That because it's it's impossible. Our quest is to be the smartest in every single aspect of our lives, uh, but it's almost a mission impossible. You're never going to get there because if you realize that. Every single person that you're around, you can learn from them. And and what I mean by that is it doesn't have to be educational attainment. I'm a surgeon, but if I walk into the operating room, it shouldn't be just me talking to the anesthesiologist because we're physicians. We should be communicating and learning from every single team member in that room, from our scrub techs to the circulating nurses to the medical students, to, you know, the anesthesia techs, uh, heck, the people who clean the room in between cases, there are opportunities to learn from every single one of them. And so that open mindset or something that you and, uh, you know, Mark Shapiro talked about that growth mindset, that's the key. And I think that, you know, I'm sure my mom stated that, but having that philosophy, always willing to learn, always making sure that I have the opportunity to continue to learn, making sure that my learning never stops, that's the key to success. And I
0: I think that what you've just, I love what you said earlier about, you know, being able to see that it just makes sense, right? Gender equity makes sense. It makes sense to reward people who are working hard. It makes sense to have innovation. It makes sense to have diversity in all these ideas. I think there's a place though where that learning for a while is uncomfortable right like it's kind of like the absolute time you know i remember the very first fiber optic intubation i did i felt like i had like seven hands i was like what is happening what what how do i hold the scope how do i do this how do i drive it and it was so awkward and i there was there was nothing fun about that experience right but <laughs> now i'm yes back and i'm like oh my gosh i'm so glad that it was uncomfortable then Little less uncomfortable the next time and now it's no problem but that's to me the key to uncovering our own bias against people or that we don't even realize we have is it's uncomfortable like it's not fun to sit down and think about and be challenged from someone that is different than you or maybe looks at something different there's it's uncomfortable there's that process of learning that's uncomfortable but it's so worth it if we stick through it
1: Correct. And I think that uh, so there are a couple of themes that you've really hit upon uh, in your statements. One, learning is intended to put you out of your comfort zone. You Unless you're out of your comfort zone, you're not going to learn. Um, and you're right with anything. Um, I mean, you've you've eloquently stated about how when you first got involved in CrossFit, for example, I mean, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of you for doing that because I'm not brave enough to do CrossFit, but it's <laughs> it's it but you know, there's a learning process, right? There's a language there. There's these special exercises and all of us on the outside are like, wow, we're just, you know, amazed by that. Uh, but there's learning and everything. Think about the first time we learned how to drive a car, right? We were focused on every single aspect of, okay, how do I adjust my seat? How do I put my seatbelt on? What's the height of my steering column? Where are my feet? I mean, you're like so focused on all those different things. And then you're like paranoid about the road ahead. And now for the vast majority of us who drive, all of that is second nature, but there's a learning process to that. And that first initial steps of that learning process had to be of comfort zone. That's the only way that you can learn. So I think that's one thing. And then as your educator hat, is seeking the learning experience because that also I think is something that is not easy to do in terms of human behavior, right? What is human behavior? When we learn how to do something, we're very reluctant to change the way we do this. Somebody asked me a question yesterday at a lecture about, you know, what's the hardest thing to do in healthcare? And I told people, oh, that's easy, trying to change their behavior. Uh, And what I mean by that is, oh, if this particular surgical technique works, why should I change that? It's working for me, right? Even if evidence comes out and clinical trials come out and new surgical techniques come out, the natural response is, well, I can just remain in my comfort zone and just keep doing the things I'm doing, even when the clinical results show, trial results show that there's better ways of doing that. For that surgeon to change, they have to automatically say, okay, now I have to exceed out of my comfort zone, learn a new surgical technique, go through that uncomfortable phase of learning how to hardwire that technique as part of my day-to-day practice before I get back into a comfort zone with that new surgical technique. That is so difficult for most human beings to do because I think that we're all hardwired to become have behaviors become automatic in our life um and we get good at doing this just like the driving thing yep. yeah the, yep. just like driving a car we get good at it if so if somebody comes out and tells you hey you're not really driving a car that well what's our first reaction what the hell are they talking about <laughs> right i mean that's a first i mean th- i read this uh, uh several months ago they did a survey um i think it was like i believe it was like a couple thousand drivers in the united states and they said We want you to self-assess yourself of are you an average driver, above average, or below average? 86% of them responded saying they were above average in driving skills. And you and I know that statistically that's impossible. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. And so – but that's an evidence of our bias. We're all inherently biased. We, Every one of us have bias. Yes. It's just a question of how wide and how deep our biases are. And if we're willing to challenge the biases and overcome yes. the biases that we have. If we're willing
0: to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable. And Correct. I think that it's really important. And this is one of the, the, the most the things that I respect the most about you um, on social media is how you are, you know, you don't shame people. And I try really hard not to shame people either. And it's a fine balance because, yeah. you know, we need to be brave to speak out against things that are not equitable. And, and we need to seek justice. And we need people to challenge our bias. But at the same time, we have to show grace to people who are uncovering their own biases. And I recognize this a lot of times when I speak on gender equity, so someone will invite me to speak, and it seems like afterwards there's this group of people that want to ask me questions, but they're actually afraid to ask the question in front of the group because perhaps they're going to display some of their own bias. And I, th- I just think we have to show each other grace because
1: most I- I people, agree.
0: I don't think, go to work every day, and they're like, today I'm going to beat down the women.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I, a- amen to everything you're saying. And, and, the case, <laughs> and I think that we also have to recognize that I would say ninety nine point nine percent of us who are involved in healthcare truly got involved in healthcare because we truly wanted to help our fellow human beings. Yeah. That's the reason we all got into health. So you have to understand that. That's number one. I also truly believe, and maybe this is pie in the sky optimism. I really believe the vast majority of men are just completely ignorant about what women go through in their day-to-day life. And so they don't realize that, you know, there's been systems in place that have been favoring them. They don't realize a lot of the day-to-day experiences that women go through. Like I don't go to work expecting to get catcalled while I walk down the hallway. Right. Um, and when, when I go out, you know, I, though I don't drink when we're out at medical societies and there's networking, you know, at like wine socials and things like that, I go and attend those events. You know, I usually have my Sprite or my, you know, iced tea or something while I'm watching everybody going around there. Uh, It's appalling some of the behavior that you witness from so-called famous leading lights in the world of medicine and surgery. Yeah. And you sit there and you're like, wow, it's mind boggling. It is mind boggling.
0: And I think think you're absolutely right. I think it's just men don't realize what we, what is just part of our everyday.
1: What part of your everyday life is. Um, You know, somebody uh, mentioned once. Um, and, uh, you know, and actually this was an uncomfortable conversation I had with my wife. Somebody said that if you talk to your spouses and ask them what they've gone through in their lives in terms of, you know, predatory behavior, your eyes will be opened unbelievably. And so I heard this and I immediately turned to my wife and I, I, I told my wife's name is Angel. I told the Angel, I said, Hey, has this happened to her? And some of the stories you shared with me were appalling and sobering beyond belief. I know. And, 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 I, and
0: you know, it's, I have to say, I haven't talked about this on the, on social media or on the podcast, but I can tell you even personally, Tom, that when all the, you know, the me too movement kind of started coming out, I, I didn't even recognize in my own life things that had happened to me that were like, I knew they weren't inappropriate, but I was like, correct. Oh my gosh. Like that was actually, blatant sexual harassment, that could have been sexual assault that happened to me in the hospital. Like I didn't even, I, Sasha Shilcutt, who has a very strong personality and presence and, and, and certainly speaks up, you know, when I see things that are inappropriate, I experienced those things as a trainee. I experienced those things as a junior resident and as a junior faculty. And I still experienced those things. And I'm like, what is happening? Did that person really just say that to me? You know, And, I'm, and I, I didn't even recognize, Tom, that that was what it is until I heard Correct. a lecture given. And I was like, wait a minute, that, that's actually happened to me. And I just chalked it up to an inappropriate thing that happened to me. You know,
1: correct. And, and I think that that's where, uh, you know, there's the microaggressions, there's the aggressions, there's, you know, the sexual. I mean, there's so many different. All of them are wrong. <laughs> right. Let's be very clear. <laughs> yes. Every all every there is right. no acceptable level of sexual harassment. It's 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 all incorrect and wrong behavior and they all need to be rooted out. Yes. Um, and, and so. Yeah. You know, whether we have uh, ignorance issues where people are not aware that these things are going on, whether there are people out there that always try to manipulate the system to play in their favor. And we all know that that's part of human behavior as well. Right. <laughs> so, so, yeah. uh, and, and and that's where every once in a while when you hear about the false accusations, That actually hurts the movement. Yes. Uh, But at the same time, we don't want people to be scared to come forward. Right. I mean, there's got to be a balance of, yes, we want people to come forward and and uh, there has to be, you know, an ability to investigate to see if things uh, truly happened or not. And then there has to be accountability. If something truly happened, there has to be accountable. And I, I don't care who that person is. It doesn't matter. How famous that person is—it doesn't matter if that person generates a ton of money for that healthcare system. <laughs> it, wrong behavior is wrong behavior. I know, and, and I think that that's the world we need to start creating. Now, I, I obviously I haven't, you know, faced things like sexual harassment. As a minority, I've faced, you know, racial discrimination, but I haven't faced racial discrimination as much as you know some of my African American colleagues or my Hispanic colleagues. And so that's the thing that when you start facing these injustices, you start realizing that this is not correct behavior. We need to change this. And so I look at my role as if I have the opportunity to get my foot in the door or get my uh, opportunities to do leadership, yes, it becomes part of my responsibility to help change things for the better. Uh, and that's what I hope that we see. Um, there is a dangerous phase right now, uh, Sasha, I think we're going into in social media. You and I have seen this. Um, there are a lot of imposters out there. It's not imposter syndrome. We actually have blatant impostors out there
0: yes we do yes we do (laughs) it's It's scary
1: isn't it it's scary we have people who we think are leading lights and then all of a sudden their true colors come out and you're like wow yeah yeah i know (laughs) uh, it's it's so it's you know so i think there's a double-edged sword to social media and public awareness uh, is that we just have to be careful we have to be Able to connect with the people, the two true content experts, follow the lead of people who are truly doing this for the good. But be wary that there are people who are gonna try to manipulate the situation to bring attention onto themselves. Again, normal human behavior. (laughs)
0: I know, I know. And it's you know, I get it's funny because I get um I get a lot of backlash, surprisingly, for being positive. (laughs) And it's even hard for me to say that because I'm like, you know, because human nature is, they love to watch the train wrecks, right? We love to watch people fall and, and we love to watch drama unfold. And, you know, it's, it's, and, and it's sad. And I just refuse to believe that that's the majority. I mean, I just, I want to believe positive things. And I want to believe that if we remain positive, we will invoke change. And, and, you know, I could go, I could post pretty much every other week. I could tell a story of how I just received an inappropriate comment or experienced bias or discrimination, but where does that what does that really I mean I have to be really choosy because what does that really lead into? You know, for me, I'd rather build allies personally. And I think everybody has a different job and a different aspect on how to change medicine. I mean, then thank God we do, right? Because there's so much work right. to be done. But, you know, I've just recognized that I really need to build allies. And it's easy for me to get frustrated, you know, I'll I'll go to a, I've served in several organizations and I'll come up with a idea and I'll say it and nobody really picks it up. And then, you know, my male colleague re amplifies the idea and suddenly it's his idea. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? And then I realized, you, you know what, at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's going to happen. The change is going to happen. So does it really matter that it was not my, I didn't get credit for it, you know? So I think that I always, try really hard and I fail often, but I try really hard to not post when I'm angry, to not post when I want a specific reaction and to not post out of a place of ego, which is really hard right? Because we want the, you know, social media is kind of a, it's a great place to connect. Um, I've met amazing people, but it's easy to fall into this like ego trap of, Oh, I get a lot of retweets or likes on this or that. And, you know, right. and, and so I've just known myself and like, if I'm angry or if I'm frustrated at some experience I've just had, I try to just wait until I'm not in that space and just offer it more as a reflection I don't know what, what you think about – no, you know, how, how is your – because you're so good at posting on social media. Like, no,
1: it, listen, I get frustrated and I get pissed off and ticked off at things in the world. But it, it doesn't lead to sustainable change. So the philosophy I have is – this is a weird way of thinking about it. There's two ways of doing change. There's the French Revolution way of change, doing change, right? You get pissed off and you decapitate everybody around you. Uh, yes, you can get immediate effect – it's not sustainable. Right. (laughs) If you really want to make sustainable change, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes getting your foot in the door. It takes becoming changing from the inside out. Um, You and I follow a lot of people who, because they're concentrating on the number of followers that they have, or looking at the number of retweets that they have, they put out a lot of negativity to the world. And and I, I, you know, for me, fundamentally, that that's just wrong. You know, it's because you want gender equity. That doesn't mean that one, one gender is more superior than the other. Correct. You know, that, that that's not, just like, if you want racial justice, it doesn't mean that one race is superior to the other. Correct. Uh, you know, everybody has value. And if you believe in a higher power, all of us are God's children. And so I think that, spiritually fundamentally it, it, it just doesn't make sense to be negative yeah now it's not saying that if somebody does something egregiously wrong that you don't call them out right but i'm saying that you don't have to be negative just for the sake of being negative you right. know i it, it, the, the the latest tweet i put out there that's gotten a lot of traction i put out there under the hashtag met at myths right mm-hmm. the, the two myths i put out there uh oh the younger generation never worked as hard as the older generation right you and i know that's complete bs right you know the, the 80 hour work week was instituted but the same expectations are there meaning that the young people have to do 80 hours and have to do the same amount of work that i was doing in 110 and 120 hours you know it's not saying that they're doing less work they have to work harder so that's one myth and and if you go back in the history of of mankind every generation has said that about the younger generation the boomers said that about our generation our generation said that about the millennials i'm sure the millennials are going to say the same thing about the younger generation coming behind them they're all going to say that we worked harder than the younger generation coming up so that's a huge myth
0: yes (laughs) and i i love i know and i love it that you're busting these myths um because there are so many myths i mean And and then they perpetuate (laughs) like you hear them and you're like, wait a minute, when did that become a fact? And then they end up on a slide and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So for the the listeners to this podcast, so when I was in training, I'm not going to throw the particular chair of surgery under the bus because, you know, but a chair of surgery at a famous Midwest university published a paper that was presented at a surgical meeting. That said that those people who are left-handed and those people who are women make inferior surgeons. Wow. Now, think about that. Wow. I, you know, I'm old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, you know, so I was training at the, you know, the, the, the late 90s, early 2000s. That's when I finished my training. So think about it. Less than two decades ago, wow. that paper was published in a peer-reviewed journal and present it at a National Surgical Society meeting. Wow. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so when you think about that, these are the things that – and again, when we talk about the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, in 2019, we're still talking about being paid differently just because of your gender, not because of your ability, not because of your talent. Because of your gender, you're getting paid differently. I know. We. I mean, these are serious structural flaws yes, they that we are. just have to get out. Yeah. And you and I I mean you mentioned that we have big issues that we need to tackle. Yes. What are the big issues? We are in the most amazing country on the planet. Yet we have people who are starving and who are homeless.
0: Yes. And I mean, we have like the this. highest and we have some of terrible maternal death rates and things. Terrible. I'm thinking, and, and I'm like, rising, this is, yes, a
1: rising maternal death rate. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, these are the big issues that we have to tackle. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been fond. People have heard me say that, you know, I believe physicians need to get more involved in public health. Mm -hmm. Public health initiatives have saved thousands and millions of lives. But the reason why all the anti-vax and all these movements are coming up is because we've forgotten our primary responsibility in the medical profession. Our primary responsibility is not just helping the patient in front of us, it's helping the community all around us as well. And we need to get more involved in that. We need to get more involved in advocacy. I would love to see physicians run for Congress. Yeah, get more involved in government. Oh, absolutely.
0: I mean, absolutely. We have
1: big things that we need yes. to tackle, and we can't do this because we're getting caught in these things that really don't make any sense. Yeah, uh, it's like of you know, gender inequality, sexual harassment. You know, not allowing talent people come up, not rewarding talent. I mean, if we can't even get beyond those issues, how are we going to tackle the big issues?
0: Right. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm having a hard time sitting right now. Like I want to, I feel like I'm in church. I want to stand up and like clap and like <laughs> do- <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is
0: funny. I'm well, like, there, preach there it. Yes, yes.
1: Berghese, Keep talking. There are a couple things, there are a couple things Tom Verghese is really bad at. <laughs> I am a horrible <laughs> singer. You never want me singing. So.
0: <laughs> well, speaking, <laughs>
1: well, when you were. And I can't dance. Those are the two things I can't do.
0: <laughs> so, okay. So last year, I invited you to speak at the Brave Enough Conference. And I mean, I just was like, hey, I don't, you don't know me. <laughs> I stalk you on Twitter. (laughs) Do you want to come and hang out with like 300, you know, women doctors? And you were like, sure. And you just, it was incredible to have you there. And I just have to tell you that like, it just, I was so elated that you believed in our mission and you believed in me and you believed in the conference to kind of come in unseen, unknowing anything about it and be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Um, It was just
1: awesome. No, that was a blast. I mean, it was, absolute blast i mean and again it goes back to go to an area where you're surrounded by people much much smarter than you <laughs> uh who, and there was so much energy in that world i mean i i'm a big fan of what you've created sasha i mean i think the the amazing thing about people and you are a prime example of this is it's very easy for a lot of us to become bitter because of the experiences we've gone through in our life But Mm -hmm. it really takes a special someone to, in spite of the terrible experiences that they've had, to turn that around and say, you know what? I refuse to allow anybody else to face what I've done. I refuse to allow anybody else to make the same mistakes that I've done. Let me share my wisdom. Let me create a movement that empowers young women to really believe in themselves and make that positive change in the world. I mean, that's an incredible thing that you've built. And those type of social movements, those are sustainable long after you and I leave the physical realm of Earth. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that Mm -hmm. that's the sustainability, and that's what we're trying to build towards. You know, wouldn't it be great if 20 years from now, you and I finally reflect back and say, Wow. Can you imagine we actually had to have a movement called he for she? Yeah. Because we actually had to say, hey, men, get, get <laughs> out know. of the stone ages. I know. Please recognize the importance of this war. That'd be great to have a, a fun conversation looking back on it. We're yeah. Not there yet.
0: I know. And I, I I, love that. And I always tell my husband, Lance, who you've met at the conference. Oh, that,
1: Lance is amazing.
0: That I just I hope someday <laughs> that I leave my mark that, you, you know, we don't we don't need to be we don't need all of this anymore. Like, I hope that that's like my dream is that like, I, I, there's enough other women leaders and men who get it that we don't have all this anymore. Like there's no need to have a brave enough conference. You know, there's just like a leadership conference, an inspirational conference for wellness, whatever. But like, that's my hope and my dream. And, but I just, you know, we couldn't do it without people like you. We, we, we need our male allies and, and there's such power in that when we come together. And I just want to tell you, honestly, thank you. Thank you for standing up for women in medicine. Um, it could, I'm sure that it could be much more beneficial for you to focus on other things in your career. And I just (laughs) want to tell you, you, thank you.
1: you. no, you're you're very kind. I mean, I, I've been very privileged. I mean, I've had an incredibly unique uh, uh, life. I mean, I, I I was born in India, I came here to the U.S., grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. My family moved back to India. Then I came back. I, you know, I've had a very atypical, unusual life. But one of the things I never forget is, I've been very privileged to meet some incredible human beings. Uh, on this planet. Um, so one example, you'll love this example, uh, Dr. Patricia Newman, you know, the founder yes. of the Association of Women Surgeons. She is one, uh, she, uh, and the second women president of, in the history of the American College of Surgeons. She is one of the most amazing humans you will ever meet. And I actually asked her, uh, you know, the last time I had, a couple of years ago, I asked her, I said, how did you get this idea of forming the Association of Women Surgeons? And she said, when I went to a surgical meeting, I looked around the room. And I was like, yep, I'm the only one right now. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally found the second woman there, I said, you know what? Let's get together and start building something for the better. I mean, think about that. <laughs> it's like, who does that? I mean, it could have been very, she could have easily just said, you know, I've been given the privilege. I'm not going to help anybody else. I mean, that, th- those are easy things to do, right? Yeah. But she didn't do that. She now you look at the Association of Women's Surgeons this is one of the most incredible organizations in the country. Yeah. I mean, they've helped thousands of women surgeons, you know, deliver better care for their patients, cutting edge science. None of that has happens unless Dr. Pat Newman says, hey, let me try to build something for the better. Yeah. And I think that there's lessons that we can learn. Another shero of mine, Dr. Julie Freischlag at Wake Forest. I mean, she's the CEO of the Wake Forest Health System. And I had the privilege a few months ago of going and giving grand rounds there. Now, her schedule is psychotic. I mean, (laughs) you, you can't even imagine how busy her schedule is. She heard that I was coming to give grand rounds and somehow carved 15 minutes out of her day in the middle of her schedule to come and talk to me. Wow. Yeah. Just that 15 minute conversation. I I mean, just so inspired. And and so you think, you know, somebody who's as accomplished as her, she still was willing to take a moment and give herself and, you know, just connect with another person. Yeah. And you start thinking, who does that? I mean, and so when you're surrounded or you've met people like this, of course, you know, it's the least I can do to go and say, "Hey, here are things that I learned." I mean, when when I uh, mentor uh, residents who do research with me, I, and they get frustrated, I told them, "I say, hey, do you know how many grant rejections I got had before I got my first one funded?'" And they look at me and go, "No." And I said, like, "I had twenty one grant rejections." Wow! Before I got my first one funded, twenty one. That's amazing. The concepts that we, the concepts we came up with, like strong for surgery. And this exercise intervention that we have got NIH funding for right now, I was laughed out of the room. I've given talks. You've probably seen these type of things. When you give a talk and there's like 300 people in the audience and you give a talk and it's pin drop silence because (laughs) it just fell like a lead stone right there in front of everybody. You're like, wow.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yep. But
1: But the thing you learn is what? You got to get back up. Yeah. Right. You got to keep coming back. That's right. Because it's all and you have to keep coming back and everything like that. Trust me. I mean, when I'm going to my chair, my division chief, I was like, yeah, that one got didn't get funded again. But can you write another recommendation letter for this next? (laughs) (laughs) You You feel incredibly small. And so but hey, if somebody can learn from my mistakes. So that they and now, of course, I look back and I look at some of the grant applications I put in. I was like, "Of course, that didn't get funded. That was that was the poorly worded." Uh, but then you start talking to people and you try to get constructive feedback. And now, of course, the the optimal word is constructive feedback, right. and not destructive right. feedback, right? I, 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 because you want to connect with people who genuinely want to help you. And not – because I think the best way I learned about this the other day, somebody said that, uh, you know, how do you tune out criticism around the world around you? And you say that, well, are those individuals you normally would go to get advice? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no – why are you listening to anything that they're saying?
0: Yes. Yes. I know. <laughs> I know. And, and it's so true. And it's like you always focus on the, the negative. It's so easy to focus on the negative, right? Well, it's, it's easy to focus yes. on the negative.
1: I mean, I think somebody put out a tweet the other day uh, on the day that he got his R01 grant funding, he had a, a manuscript that was rejected by a journal. Same day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you would think that R01 funding from the NIH, that's like one of the highest accolades we can all achieve. But he spent the rest of the day thinking about his manuscript that was rejected. Right.
0: I know, <laughs> I know. It's so it true. happens
1: to all of us. Yes, it I does mean, so when you hear a negative comment in the OR. Yeah. Even though you've done amazing work for like six or seven patients that day, your mind naturally goes back to I the know. It's just I know. Human I, I
0: you know, I was working a couple months ago and I did like three Patients that had a combined ejection fraction of like 15% and I, deli- combined. <laughs> I combined and I got everybody to the ICU and everybody was stable and I went home and then the next day I got this like, you know, email that was like, so-and-so had a lip lack, and I was like, okay.
1: Like, the fact that they're alive like, doesn't mean anything right man exactly.
0: what is going on here you guys like i like n- everyone is alive and everyone is off pressers yeah. and inotropes I, I, and like to- they have a cut on their lip put some vaseline on it like i, I don't know he, he, well
1: i mean <laughs> he, and, and you know sometimes you're you know the other day i was you know making rounds and i was covering for one of my younger partners and uh i mean he took a, he, the same thing you know somebody was in septic shock multi-system organ failure I had to take him for an emergency surgery. And the patient's doing okay. He's stabilized. And he's beating himself up, saying, Oh, I wish this patient was doing better. And I looked at him. I was like, John, what's wrong with you? The patient's alive. <laughs> That's a huge win. Take <laughs> no. it. That's the first step. Yes. We're not having this conversation. Yeah, I know. The patient's not alive.
0: I know. And so then I'm like, you know, ruminating about this, you know, lip laceration and I'm like, okay, like I can't focus on the lip laceration. Yes. I apologize. I'm sorry that it happened from, you know, being in the OR for 12 hours and saving this person's life. But I think in the big scheme of things, it's okay. Like we're okay. okay.
1: But I think that Sasha, you you hit on, there's two things in our culture and healthcare, which actually makes it very difficult to make immediate change. And I think that It all ties into the theme of vulnerability, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. We don't get rewarded for being vulnerable. Right. And that we don't get rewarded for admitting our mistakes. Right. You know, in fact, we get torn down for showing any sense of weakness or for saying that I screwed up. I need to do better. Correct. I mean, even though we've got formal forums such as uh, morbidity and mortality conferences and things like that. I, to do that out in the public, it, it, it doesn't. So, so when you and I read about, you know, Dr. Brene Brown's work about daring greatly mm-hmm, and yep. showing our vulnerability immediately I'm like, yeah, she's saying the right things. You know how difficult that is to do. Oh, to in,
0: medicine? in medicine. I know. I know.
1: It's, uh, it, yep. it, it's, it, it's, inc- you know, because if I, as a young surgeon come out and a patient asks me, how many of these have I done? And you say you know, when you're early on, you kind of total up everything that you've had in training until you get to be as old enough as I am. And then you <laughs> say that I've been out this many years and this many thousands of cases and everything like that. But, you know, even patients don't want to hear about your no, losses.
0: No, right. Right. No, <laughs> so, it's true. It's so true. And it's, and, it's so, and it's
1: so this is this is our culture. Yeah, we're surrounded by a culture where showing weakness is not rewarded. Being vulnerable is not rewarded. So it's not that surprising that it's taking us a little bit longer period of time to enact these positive changes. Yes, but it's something we still need to do. It's just going to be harder and longer. To, it's going to take a longer period of time.
0: I agree, and I'm, I, I'm so I'm just so glad that. You know, there's people like you, and there's people like Julie Silver, and there's people like Mark Shapiro, bringing light to to different aspects of the of healthcare and and public health and all of these issues. We just we need everybody to do things that are different and expose things that we need to improve on, and we really do need to look from an outcomes perspective. And I just want to thank you for coming on the show, and and for all of those that are listening, tell them where they can follow you how they can follow <laughs> you on Twitter. Cause you certainly they're going to want to.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So um, my, my Twitter handle is at Tom Varghese jr. V A R G H E S E. I'm very active on so, social media and Twitter. My Facebook is uh, really reserved for uh, personal friends and family. Uh, and honestly, the only reason I use Facebook is uh, to remember people's birthdays and <laughs> anniversaries. <laughs> that's what I use Facebook for um, I have, I have a small presence on LinkedIn, LinkedIn as well. in the Tom Bergeese, uh, slash LinkedIn, awesome. uh, Tom Bergeese Jr. slash LinkedIn, but uh, Twitter is where you can find me. That's where awesome. I usually spend most of my time. And that's where I really uh, love engaging with people. Uh, and then of course, well, hopefully if I get an opportunity, hopefully at a future Brave Enough conference. That'd Absolutely. Be
0: <laughs> Absolutely. We have to have you back. You're definitely have have on you deck. But only yeah. if you agree to go to the gala and break out the dance shoes.
1: Oh, no, no, please. <laughs> Sasha, I'm telling you, I mean, that will scar all you. If, if your attendees see me dancing or singing, it'll scar everybody for like, you don't want that. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. and like.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I hope today if you're listening, that we encouraged you to be vulnerable, that we gave you some inspiration to stand up for what's right in a positive manner and invoke change by not shaming anyone, but giving grace and looking internally into your own bias. And as always, live brave. This has been an HSG production.